Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. Much of today's podcast will be referencing my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you find the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book on my website at Amazon or at Barnes and Noble. And if you can't afford a copy, please write to me and I will find a way to get one into your hands for free. So today's podcast is asking the question, do you like surprises or do you only like the surprises that you want to receive? You may be shocked to learn that God loves to give his children surprises. One such surprise is that of forgiveness. He is absolutely delighted when we follow his teachings and forgive others so that he may surprise and bless us with forgiveness. You see, it's a privilege of the forgiven to then go on and forgive others. If you've ever traveled on a plane and listened to the safety instructions, we're told in the event of an emergency to secure our oxygen mask first and then to assist others. And really, this is what God's telling us to do as well. He wants us to freely forgive so that we're in right standing with him, and then he can turn around and bless us. This principle is seen throughout the Bible time in and time out. When we find that we harbor an attitude of unforgiveness, it's not healthy for us mentally or spiritually or even physically. Scripture says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this means that if God is not condemning us, who are we then to condemn another person? So unforgiveness manifests in anger oftentimes. And when we're angry, we tend to act out emotionally. And this may be seen in outbursts or maybe rudeness, haughty attitudes, meaning just arrogant attitudes. A heart that's heavy is an angry heart. And most of us are aware of the book of Job from the Bible. He went through a terrible season that scholars say lasted about nine months. He was a righteous man in God's eyes and very near to the Lord. Yet Satan came to God and asked to sift him like wheat. Satan's premise was that Job was only good because of all the gifts and blessings that God had given to him and his family. So God agreed to allow Satan to shake up Job's world. And it's important to know that God was still fully in control of the situation even while this trial was going on in Job's life. Job had a hedge of protection surrounding him. Um, Even though by worldly appearances, Job had lost everything near and dear to him, yet he remained fully committed to God. And in Job chapter 13, verse 15, we're told that Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And this is an excellent point for us all to remember. Job's friends initially showed up in support, but when they didn't see God's support immediately, they began to question what Job might have done to have brought these circumstances upon himself. And these friends really proved to be fair-weathered friends. Even Job's wife told him to curse God and die. And imagine if Job would have listened. Instead, Job forgave and he maintained his right standing or his righteousness with God. And once he did this, God restored double blessings to Job and his family. And that's because Job extended forgiveness. 
And that is truly the power, my friends, of forgiveness. When it makes no sense to our limited, rational minds, we can simply make a choice to trust and obey God. He tells us in the book of Isaiah that his ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts like our thoughts. Forgiveness means that we see past the mistakes, the hurts, the disappointments of others into the truth of their hearts. And the icing on the cake is that just because we forgive, we're under no obligation to forget. Yet when we experience what it is like to forgive others naturally, the hurt, the pain, the disappointment all dissipates and is replaced with a hopeful expectation for our future. We are then freed from the past. It makes no difference if forgiveness is needed in friendships or marriages. The one who can help us soften our hearts and come to terms with our need to forgive is none other than Jesus. The Bible is full of marriage advice because that is the central issue, not divorce. Marriage was God's idea. The book of Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 shares with us, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and receives favor from the Lord. And we're being instructed by God that it's good to be married. We're told to emphasize individual freedom. This is misguided and aligns with the world's ways, not God's ways. Strong individuals are important, but strong marriages are equally important. God created marriage for our enjoyment. Each aspect of his creation within the world, he pronounced it good. It's no different with marriage. He also pronounced it as good. Marriage is a joyful expression of God and a blessed gift to his children. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 and verse 12 says that two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. They're even better when there's three, there's a triple braided cord which is not easily broken. God's ways of companionship versus isolation fare much better for mankind. Intimacy and trust of others is earned, and yet it is a bond that is strengthened when Jesus is at the helm. This gives us that threefold cord. There's power in this union. And King David's wise advice to us was to keep our memory long and our hearts pliable. Remember our Father's blessings and let them flow off of our tongue and out of our mouths effortlessly like the air that we breathe. These blessings from God aid us in our forgiveness of others. Think of forgiveness as currency that we're exchanging in God's economy. Now you might be thinking, okay, but what am I exchanging my forgiveness for? What do I get in return? You exchange pride when you offer others forgiveness. As Christians, we are to cultivate an attitude of forgiveness and forego the habit of counting offenses against ourselves or even offenses of others. Other people may not truly deserve our forgiveness, but we deserve it. This is a free grace gift that we can give ourselves. When we do this, we release ourselves from the bondage that enslaves us. God is rich in grace and mercy, but he's also holy and just. 
He must balance the scales, and those who refuse to forgive should not imagine that he would welcome their hardened hearts into his kingdom. Exodus chapter 32 verse 9 states, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it's a stiff-necked people. Here God was saying, Man is prideful and stubborn, and the analogy of stiff-necked is equivalent to an unyielding heart. And this may be a surprise for you. God has a hate list. This surprised me to learn too. What? A hate list? Yes, that's right. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 through 19 tells us that there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests, but the top of the list are haughty eyes. In other words, prideful eyes, a prideful outlook on life. Pride is a seemingly innocuous emotion, yet it's the enemy's number one go-to destroyer of mankind. Pride is what tripped up Eve in the Garden of Eden and has been causing destruction in our world ever since. While it's possible to be proud of circumstances, achievements, or events where God played a central role in our lives to help us, We're not to be proud in and of ourselves, for apart from God, we can do nothing. As a matter of fact, John chapter 15 verse 5 tells us that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. We're to remain in Christ, meaning we're to believe that Jesus is God's son. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then we later read in the book of Ephesians where Paul calls pride blindness of heart. It's easy to fall into the trap of pride at some point because we live in a world that encourages us to become the best we can, climb the ladder at all costs. Don't look down at who you might be stepping on as you climb up higher. But God's ways are different. He wants us to help each other, become the best version of ourselves. Together, we are better. Together, we can achieve more. This is why diversity in the world is wonderful. Every person, every culture has something unique to offer, and we all can learn from each other. Most times when we encounter a truly prideful, unrepentant person, they don't even realize that their anger stems out of a pride problem. The heart of stone remembers every offense and is still angry. Not forgetting is okay, but forgiving is imperative. If we're going to allow God's exuberant grace into our lives, then we need to forgive. Have you ever known someone, or perhaps this is you, who felt it best to cut off all ties with a relative or a friend over a perceived grudge? What if a misunderstanding had occurred and now the relationship is obsolete? It's a shame to harbor unforgiveness as you cut yourself off from the growth opportunities God had placed directly into your life with this particular person. Now, I'm not condoning an abusive relationship here, but one where the relationship has clear boundaries. So how do we pull down the Jericho walls of our enemies? Scripture teaches that when our ways please God, he'll make our enemies to be at peace with us. God wants to help us come back into balance by helping us to recognize that we're God's righteousness through his son, Jesus. It has nothing to do with anything that we have or have not done, and yet it has everything to do with what the son has done. 
In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, teach us that if we're truly children of the Most High God, we'll show it through our obedience and forgiving others. It's committing to one's spiritual self that permanent forgiveness can occur. To love, to bless, to do good and pray for others are not man's natural inclinations. However, when we've experienced God's forgiveness supernaturally, we can continue in the Spirit. God's Spirit to our spirit is His preferred method for communing with His children. Our carnal flesh is not interfering when we're in the Spirit. We must have His help to be successful. Scripture teaches us to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate and persecute us, so that we may be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. For he makes his sunrise on the evil and on the good and and sends rain on the unjust. The Lord's Prayer, also known as the Apostles' Prayer, is an outline that focuses on priorities for a believer given to us by our Father. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You may be asking, what are the debts being referred to here? They're sins that are morally or spiritually opposed to God. The believer needs to confess that they're a sinner, but not air out a laundry list of all sins. God already knows each and every one that's been committed. And now we drop down further in the prayer where it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And this is telling us that when we believed upon Christ Jesus, God forgave us for our sins. Now we have a mission to accomplish, and that is one of relational forgiveness with others. Mark chapter 11 verses 25 and 26 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. We find that forgiveness is a prerequisite of both faith and prayer. First, faith, because what we place our faith in is what matters. Anyone can have faith, but we must have a saving faith in Jesus if we want to see real outcomes. Second, prayers directed to God must go through His Son, Jesus. He's our advocate to the Father. It's not just a tagline to end our prayers with when we say, In Jesus' holy name, Amen. Jesus is the engine of our soul. Furthermore, Romans chapter 12, verse 20 instructs us with what to do about enemies who refuse to offer forgiveness toward us. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap up coals of fire on his head. And instead of repaying evil for evil, we're to do good to our enemies. We're told to be proactive and not reactive. So what does the metaphor coals of fire on someone's head really mean? Here, Jesus is referring to shame or remorse for their actions toward us. Here, Paul was teaching us how to handle personal enemies. These were not instructions to follow for national enemies. God's timing is not always our timing. We must step back and allow God's perfect will to play out. It seems that God allows us to have enemies purely for our growth. Once Satan can no longer deceive us by using people to orchestrate his schemes, we are free. 
We must recognize who the real foe is. It's never as simple as Satan would have us believe. All hatred and discord are from the fallen angel army that Lucifer or Satan established. One day, God will put an end to it, but for now, we can choose freedom and be in complete forgiveness, knowing that it brings us the victory. John chapter 8 verse 32 puts it simply, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then we go down further to verse 36, and it goes on to tell us, So if the Son sets you free, you will indeed be free. And if you're asking and questioning truth here in that initial verse 32, substitute the name of Jesus and you'll have a complete revealing or revelation of what that verse is speaking into your heart. In other words, it's Jesus whom we know and Jesus who sets us free. And this, my friends, is the good news. The book of Luke tells us to love our enemies, do good to them, lend and hope for nothing in return. This is a theme throughout all the Bible. God's plan was for us to be tender-hearted, merciful, and good toward one another. Yet the world tells us to be shrewd. I once knew a woman who gave me a gift for my daughter. I had only just met her recently, and I was taken aback as she said, I didn't bring, I said I didn't bring anything for you, and she didn't have any kids yet, but she point blank said to me that she liked to one up others. I couldn't believe my ears. You might have thought she would have taken the approach it's more blessed to give than to receive. So you can imagine I had a little bit of a hard time accepting the gift. Because truly we give a gift when we allow others to give us gifts. When we pass the test and tackle the trials and tribulations of life, we come out stronger. We have more conviction, more fortitude. What the enemy meant for our harm, God will turn it around and use it for our good. God doesn't allow hardships to go to waste. We're in a perpetual growth cycle. I've learned not to envy anyone else's life. It may appear on the outside all is well, but unless we know the ins and outs of someone else's life, we can't even begin to imagine what challenges and difficulties they may be facing. It's so important not to judge another's walk with the Lord. We're assured in Psalm 91 that 1,000 may fall by our side, but God will protect us. I'm reminded of a silly example. From when I was a youngster, my brother and I had gone to Magic Mountain, and we were riding a roller coaster called the Revolution. You might remember this is the one where it turns you completely upside down in the middle. You might be feeling your palms starting to sweat right about now. Well, I was scared, and therefore I began screaming like there was no tomorrow. My brother just looked at me and he said, you can choose to scream or not scream, but just to let you know, screaming's not going to change the situation. And he was absolutely right. I immediately quieted down and rode the ride, declaring never to do it again. Although, side note, I do really enjoy roller coasters. I think they're a lot of fun. So here's what I learned, though. All things are possible with God. He rides the roller coasters with us. God plus us is a majority, and we can conquer anything together. The Golden Rule teaches us to treat others like we would like to be treated. And this includes our animals. If we desire kindness, 
we must be kind. If we want love, we must love others. If we're looking for forgiveness, we must first forgive. The principle is the law of reciprocity. What we give, we then will receive. I've heard it said, if you really want to know something inside and out, you'll teach it to others. And God is patient in our afflictions and blindness. He's longing to be good to us. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 teaches, He will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him because we trust in Him. People develop at different rates. Instead of creating an enemy where there is not one, shouldn't we allow grace to others as we consider their spiritual development? The brethren are not to be stumbling blocks in another's growth in God. We need to allow for allowances and understand that only God knows the heart of a person. On the surface, it appears that humanity is needing a repair of the heart, yet that's God's job to determine. It's not our job. Psalm chapter 23 verse 3 says, that God restores our soul and leads us in the paths of righteousness. And notice how it says he leads us. He doesn't push us. He doesn't follow us. No, God is our leader, our guide. He freely gives us direction. He's desiring a reciprocal relationship with him. When scripture repeats itself in different books, we know the words are important. And that's exactly what Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 do. Here God tells us we have redemption through Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of our sins according to his riches and his grace. Forgiveness here means to send away. We're being separated from our sin. Our sins were placed upon Jesus and he acted as our atoning sacrifice or substitution and propitiation at the cross of Calvary. Some people make it as far as the cross and don't complete the journey of receiving God's gracious grace gift of his son. They give up when they've completed 99% of the journey. Don't let this be you. This is similar to planting something in your garden, and right before the beauty of it's going to be shown to the world, someone gives up pulling it out from where it had been planted. So friends, today, if you want to become a child of God and spend eternity in heaven, not somewhere else, because we all will spend eternity somewhere, then I'm inviting you to pray this prayer of invitation to Jesus with me. Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within our hearts. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And then get into a Bible-based church where you can be surrounded with fellow believers. And let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Amen. As you go out today into the world, remember the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And this prayer alone encompasses six blessings. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you peace. Amen.